When you think about how commercials try to sell us on fitness gear, the one thing that comes to mind is, well, first, you hear some pretty intense workout music. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's all about getting motivated, pushing it to the next level. Exactly. There's lots of high-octane, adrenaline-pumping, hero shots as well. Yeah, people catching their breath, uh, wiping perfect beads of sweat off their perfect brows, right? Lots of intense looks of concentration. They're rowing extra hard. They're biking extra hard, lifting extra hard. Extra everything. (laughs) Extra everything. But, you know, these days, one of the most popular forms of fitness doesn't sound much like that at all. So this is the sound of what high adrenaline, high octane, highly addictive exercise sounds like right now. (laughs) Wow. Uh, highly addictive fitness sounds really quiet. Yeah, I had no idea how quiet this was. So this is the sound of a Peloton. Right, Peloton, the, the beautifully designed, you know, apparently whisper quiet exercise bike, the one with the touch screen, the one everyone's talking about. Yeah, at this point, they have millions of obsessed users. I've seen people say they're even addicted to their Peloton. Yeah, especially in the past year, right? With yeah. everyone trying to exercise from home more than ever. Peloton is part of a fitness trend that we're calling Connected Fitness. Yeah, Connected Fitness, I feel like the shared definition we have for that is equipment that has interfaces that display like your heart rate, your progress, how you compare to other users, that kind of thing. Right, and a lot of times these products come with membership plans that stream live or on-demand fitness classes right to the user. I've been using Apple Fitness for a few months now. It's basically fitness classes on the phone or a a tablet or a TV. And and when I pair it with my Apple Watch, I get to see the calories I'm burning. I see my heart rate. I see how long I have left to go in the exercise. So that's connected fitness, right? That's what we mean? Yeah, that's another one. And there's a whole bunch of these out there. Uh, Another one is Tonal. This is a strength training system Uh with, quote-unquote, electromagnetic weights. <laughs> it also has a screen to display exercises and it also has an AI that helps you with your form. It's also nothing for you to worry about at all. <laughs> right. I've also seen one called Hydro, which is this rowing machine that uses its display to connect you with coaches who are out on actual literal water. Oh. Um, there's also one called Fight Camp. It's an app that uses sensors in a pair of connected boxing gloves to track your punches, how many you throw, how fast, that kind of thing. Wow. So we've got punching bags, bikes, there are treadmills, rowing machines, weight machines, even connected fitness mirrors. It's really cool. So there is a ton of competition in this space. Yeah. And really all of it depends on the user experience design being really creative and really excellent in order to stand out. Well, and to get people hooked on one brand over another, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're going to look at a few of these examples today. And for me, I really want to understand... What role does UX design play in the success of this connected fitness gear? Or is the UX design really just dressing up what could really just be another fitness fad? Is connected fitness just another gimmick from an industry that has been selling us gimmicks for decades? Right. And to start us off, I reached out to someone who's all in on this trend. So, are you two ready to crush this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's hit it. Design. Creativity. Wireframe, a podcast from Adobe. So I'm Koi Vin, Senior Director of Design at Adobe. And I'm Dominic Gerard, one of the producers here. And I'm Pippa Johnstone, the other producer here. 
before we go any further, a little confession. I don't really exercise all that much. Like maybe once a week. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you. I own weights, but they live under my bed full time. Well, I only bring this up because Ariel Norling is putting us all to shame. I was not a gym buff by any means. I was actually a pretty sedentary person. Um, I had a regular gym membership and I didn't really use it, mostly because I felt so embarrassed by being there. So Ariel is 29 and she's a software designer in Oakland, California. And that embarrassed sedentary version of her, that's totally gone now. What you're hearing there is Ariel lifting weights on her tonal machine. And those little dings you hear are part of the UX design for that machine. They help her with her reps and with her form. Hmm. Tonal's that weightlifting machine that you described a minute ago, right? With the AI, that's what she has? Yeah, that's the one. So to use this, you map this big vertical touchscreen TV to the wall. And then you use that to set your weight levels and to choose the fitness classes and the coaches that you want to work with. Oh, so it's basically a gym on the wall. Yeah, that's essentially right. So on each side of that screen, there are these arms that you move around into different positions when you're lifting weights. Hmm. And that AI, it's paying attention as you do this. So for example, if it detects that you're struggling, it'll lighten the resistance to make it easier on you. <laughs> I would need that. It's kind of like having a human spotter, it sounds like, in an actual gym. Yeah. Right. One without judgment. <laughs> right. <laughs> So Ariel uses this, but that's not all because she's totally bought into this connected fitness trend. I currently have a tonal, a Peloton bike, and a Peloton tread. Okay, so that's a weightlifting system, an exercise bike, and this Peloton tread. That's a connected treadmill. Cool, that's, that's a lot of expensive gear. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did some really quick back-of-the-envelope math, and I figure it's at least nine grand just to own this equipment. <sighs> Huh. But then you've also got the monthly subscription fees for the fitness classes on top of it. Wow. So if she's willing to spend this much money, something in that design must be working for her, right? Yeah, definitely. She's become one of these people that you mentioned earlier, obsessed with how this equipment has changed her. I am not a perfectionist or a competitive person when it comes to basically any other part of my life. But I do feel like since Peloton and Tonal have come into my life, I have become this person. So here's what I've learned so far from Ariel's experience. Let's take Tonal's user experience design. Mm -hmm. The gear is paired to a really slick interface that tracks and rewards progress. And it challenges Ariel by crunching data about her workouts and displaying something called a strength score. I am totally obsessed with trying to get my strength score up. I never want to miss a workout or have a bad workout for fear that my strength score number is going to go down. And when Ariel hits a new personal best, she gets this tiny little reward. There's this really delightful chime noise when you have a new record that's set on tonal. Did you catch that? Here it is again. And it was so unexpected the first time I, I heard it. And now I'm constantly listening for that chime while I'm working out because I, I just love hearing it. It really doesn't take very much for us to feel rewarded. I feel like this is a sign that we are all Pavlov's dogs. <laughs> I mean, it's a really neat little bit of UX design, mm -hmm. this little chime that makes you feel like the equipment is really paying attention to you. Mm. 
So I'm pointing this out to this little detail because designing fitness gear brings its own friction, right? It's hard to get people to work out. So the UX has to feel fun and it has to feel personal and it has to be rewarding. And if something as small as a chime and a strength score makes Ariel, you know, push herself harder and chase that little reward, then mission accomplished, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. So you're right to mention that the UX of fitness has to tackle an extra layer of friction in its design koi. And there's even a fancy term for this. It's called hyperbolic discounting. Sorry, hyper what? what? Hyperbolic discounting. Uh, okay. It's a behavioral economics term. It's definitely a behavioral economics <laughs> term. <laughs> so this theory is that given a choice between two rewards, okay. humans will usually pick the one that they can have sooner, no matter how good the later reward is. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is me and Apple Fitness, right? <laughs> Every day for me, it's a fight between getting up and taking a class or not getting up and staying in bed. Staying in bed is so much nicer. And Jennifer Kleinhens told me why. So basically, it's this idea that, like, you're always sort of fighting your brain when you have to do something that sucks now but is good for you later. <laughs> and it does mean that people have to outwit kind of their own psychology to get in and do something that's good for them. So Jennifer Kleinhens is a customer experience strategist, and she does a lot of writing and research on the connections between psychology, behavioral science, and experience design. Right. And when you say customer experience strategy, I think it's worth saying that that's basically a cousin of UX strategy. Right. And last year, Jennifer wrote about how the Peloton bike is designed to push you past hyperbolic discounting. I think what makes it different is this idea that it's not just a bike, right? It's a social fitness game. So she calls it a social fitness game, which, okay, that's, and it's clearly an effective one given the millions of people buying Pelotons. Including Jennifer, actually. She owns one too. And she quickly realized that it's succeeding because Peloton focused on the user experience from the very beginning. And I found out actually in my research that when they were founding Peloton, they actually didn't look at like Fitbit or, you know, Bowflex or whatever the competition might have been. Um, they actually were talking about companies like Apple, like Netflix, like Amazon. You know, they were looking at kind of like game-changing companies who focused on user experience. And that's how they got inspired. Okay, so if this bike is designed to gamify fitness, then the challenge for the UX designers is to constantly be thinking about the obstacles that the user has to beat at each level. So, for example, level one might be get me out of bed. Yeah, <laughs> and the way it tries to beat that first level, as you put it, is to create a habit loop. And there's three parts to it, right? There's a trigger. So this is like a call to action, right? This is like the thing you have to go like, oh, you know, I have to get on the bike. I have to exercise right now. There's a routine, which is the habit itself. And then there's a reward. So that's the feedback that you get from performing the habit. So with that in mind, what's the trigger, right? Hmm. Well, the trigger in this case is the equipment itself, the Peloton bike. It's beautifully designed. It's nice to look at. You show it off in your home and you're drawn to it. It makes you want to get on it. And well, of course, you also spend a bunch of money on it. Yeah, that's another incentive to get you on this beautiful bike. You know, it's distracting a little bit in a good way. I feel like any other piece of equipment, I would just look at it and be like, yeah, whatever, and kind of walk past. But every time I see the Peloton, I think, oh, man. Like, I've, I know I've got a friend on there who's, like, beating me. I know that there's, like, this class I really want to do. Um, and I just know that once I get on it, I'm going to have a good time. Okay, so this beautiful, expensive bike triggers you to get on it. Now what? The routine part of the habit loop kicks in. 
And there's a few things going on here. First, they make it super easy to pick a live or an on-demand class. You know, they're ready, they're waiting for you. Mm -hmm. But so is the massive Peloton community. Like, you're not alone on this bike unless you choose to be. There are friends or strangers to compete against all the time. So it's like there's this community aspect that is also motivating you to exercise, to play that social game. Yeah, and you even earn points for playing the game just for exercising. There's two components to how you earn points, right? So it's how fast your feet pedal, and it's how high the resistance is. And obviously you've got, like, an instructor telling you, we're going to turn it up to this and we're going to pedal this fast. And since this is a social game... I imagine you're probably getting ranked based on those points. Exactly. So there's a leaderboard you might have heard of, and users get really into this part, and that becomes part of the routine. A lot of times you'll get into a class and there's like 40,000 people that have taken it, or 100,000 people, and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I'm only like 30,000 out of 40,000. That feels really terrible. You're like, oh, I gotta beat, you know, whoever this is, like Sophie or, you know, Easy Rider, whatever their username might be, and it becomes weirdly personal. Because it's, you know, it's really just like, what are you doing in the moment and how are you ranking with people? Man, imagine a situation in the real world where you're riding against 100,000 other people also on exercise bikes. <laughs> like, this is the kind of competition that can only happen virtually. Yeah. yeah. You know, I can also see how if you design a routine around that much competition, that can really entice users to keep on coming back, right? So aside from the immense personal satisfaction that you or Jennifer might get from beating Easy Rider, there's also a reward system built into the UX. So that's the third step of the habit loop. Yeah. The more you bike, the more achievements you unlock. There are specific monthly challenges. There are ride challenges. And they reward you for unbroken streaks, stuff like that. So I do feel like every time I jump on the Peloton, it feels like there's a new new badge that I can earn or a new challenge that I can kind of do. So, you know, 12-week streak. I think I'm on my 27th week streak, 28th week streak. Okay, so badges, they're a part of Apple Fitness too. And I do find it really satisfying when I earn one. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's true. When I break an exercise streak, like I do regularly, I am very disappointed (laughs) in myself. (laughs) But the UX makes you want to keep trying, right? Oh, it totally does. Yeah. How does Apple Fitness Track workout progress? Oh, I noticed. They've designed these rings that you close as you exercise. Yeah, and when you close a ring, you get this really satisfying animation. Just one more little reward. Okay, this makes sense, and it relates to what Jennifer's saying with Peloton. She calls this design a goal gradient. And Peloton has its own version of a goal gradient in their interface. It's just one more way they keep people in the saddle. So basically it says people are motivated by how much is left to reach the target rather than how far they've come. And I think it's interesting because goal gradient basically says as people get closer to a reward, they speed up their behavior to kind of get to that goal faster. I've seen it in my personal social group and I've done it myself because I am definitely falling victim to goal gradient effect and I am really, really trying to get to that virtual finish line. So Jennifer's not kidding, right? Peloton has basically turned exercise into an actual video game. Yeah, all in service of building this habit loop. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about how UX can really drive the formation of habits. And in fact, we did a show all about that. And usually they're talking about how UX is used to create bad habits, like keeping you hooked into your social media feed. Hmm. I mean, at least here, the intentions are good, right? And for a lot of Peloton users, this is really working. They keep coming back for more. 
Okay, I understand how all this leaderboard stuff and social competition can be really addictive, but we didn't even talk about the relationship between the user and the coaches and trainers that are on those Peloton screens. Yeah, and that's a really important part of the experience, right? They're the ones who bring all the energy to the social game. They have the job of building that sense of competition across the users. I certainly think like the little things that they do, the fact that, you know, we talk about UX, like they call out sort of the resistance levels, they call out the speed. It does kind of start to, oh, like this is like a real thing. Like it's happening here in front of me. (laughs) But that's just one way to design a user experience for this stuff, right? I mean, what if I'm not interested in a giant competition and making my exercise a video game? Like, what if I just want someone to coach me through a workout? That's basically the focus of a different experience. It's for a device called Mirror. It's like an actual physical mirror? Yeah, like an actual mirror. And, and Kevin Tui is the lead designer in the project. He's a UX product designer and strategist. And, well, he's clearly explained what Mirror is a few times. Mirror is a nearly invisible interactive home gym where you can see yourself, your trainer, your community, personalized metrics and tips, all in a single beautiful in-home display. So that's radically different from designing an exercise bike. Yeah. Right, and from what I understand, when this thing is off, it's just a mirror, and it's made to blend in. Yes, exactly. And then you pull up the app on your phone, you pick a class, mirror comes on, and it's a little bit magical. Yeah, so one of the first things that will happen is your trainer sort of comes into greet you. And that's always a great experience. And I love watching it because it's one of those rare moments that is sort of simultaneously completely novel uh, to see a sort of like holographic fitness trainer superimposed on onto the mirror where you can see yourself. But it's also a completely familiar experience. Okay, so wait, so if I use this, I see myself in the mirror, but there's also a fitness coach kind of Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking back at me. Yeah, you got it. And add to that some basic UI, uh, but mostly the focus is on you and the trainer. So you will see uh, in the interface a sense of how far you have to go and how far you've gone, a sense of effort exerted and heart rate, and you know a sense of the community that's there taking the class with you. And Pippa, this too also has a goal gradient in its UI. It's basically a little countdown timer that shows up in the in the corner. Cool. So what does he mean by sense of community here? Yeah, well, at the bottom, there's these little profile circles that show you who else is in the class. But really, the interaction there is quite minimal. So the way that competition is represented graphically on the mirror is basically competing with a past version of yourself. So it's graphically on a, a points graph that's taking into account your the exercises, calories burned, and your heart rate. So last time you did this, here's where you were at this stage. Exactly. At this at this stage in the workout, here's where you were and here's where you are now. And the implicit goal is to try to keep up with your past self or maybe edge out your past self and improve. That's one way where sort of the visual design matches with the broad intent of the product. That sounds a bit like what Ariel was saying about Tonal before and how its UX encourages her to kind of compete against herself. Hmm. Right. With that strength score that she mentioned, that metric. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is some logic to designing a smart mirror because people like working out in front of them. Yeah. And so this idea that you can see your past self through a graph in the mirror 
sort of just puts it all together for you. Yeah, and that thing about working out in front of a mirror, it's literally where the idea comes from. The the CEO of this company, she ran a number of boutique fitness studios before this. I knew that people like working out in front of a mirror, but I didn't know how bringing the trainer inside of the mirror would create sort of a one plus one equals two situation where it's better than both of those elements alone. Okay, so it really is about mimicking the experience of a private fitness class, the kind you might do in a real boutique gym. That's right. This is what I mean by it's less about gamifying exercise and more about giving a sense that you're kind of in this together. It's really more about positivity and community and a personal connection and giving people a sense that they're on track. And I think what emerges from that is kind of a human-based approach where we take the trainer and make them as big as possible and let everything else sort of fade away to the periphery. But is that enough? I mean, I take Pippa's point about how Peloton is designed to draw you in and to get you on that bike for one more class. So if this is just a mirror on the wall most of the time, does that make it harder to get someone to use it because it's really kind of invisible? Yeah, it's an interesting point. And and, and to that point, Even Kevin admits to having some skepticism at the beginning of this project. Now, he says he approaches every design project with skepticism. That way he can prove himself wrong in the process of designing it. Um, And with Mirror, he says he did prove himself wrong. For years, I think a lot of the fitness technology was just sort of bringing a low-fidelity, low-effort pantomime of of a gym experience into the home. So I think folks are right to be skeptical about there's been a lot of uh, snake oil in in, in home fitness. I think we hit the right moment of hardware, software, technology, and culture where we could build these devices that brought an experience into the home. To your point before, Koi, I think Mirror might appeal more to a fitness junkie, somebody who's already good at overcoming their own hyperbolic discounting. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Pippa. But you've heard of Lululemon, the big athletic leisure wear company? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, they bought Mirror for half a billion dollars last year. Whoa. (laughs) And they're not the only ones with these mirrors. There's Tempo Studio, both Echelon and Nordic Track have their own versions. And then there's Form. It's like a hybrid version of Mirror and Tonal and designed by Eve Behar. Mm, Fancy. Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like there's clearly a market for magic mirrors, right? I mean... Who doesn't love looking at themselves in the mirror? Come on. (laughs) True. Very true. Yeah, there are a lot of thoughtful ideas baked into the UX of these products. And so maybe these devices are better than some of the exercise fads that we've seen before. Better than the thigh master coy? (laughs) I don't know. I feel like the different UX approaches we're seeing between Mirror and Peloton, it's showing me that people are still experimenting with what works and what doesn't in this UX space. Yeah, that's right. That's true. When, I, when I'm comparing Mirror to, to Peloton or even Tonal, it's clear that there's still lots of innovation happening. There's yeah. still a lot of experimentation happening. Yeah, it, that means, though, that some of these devices are probably going to fail in mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lots of people still prefer going to the gym. And a lot more people find ways to stay fit without buying into any of this creatively designed equipment, mm. right? Well, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to bring that up because I did have a conversation with a young UX designer named Jean Liu about all this connected fitness stuff. Yeah, all this connected fitness isn't for me just because, you know, as you know, we've all been at home for over a year. And for me, I'm just looking for moments to get outside, whether it's for a run or for a bike ride. 
to get some of that fresh air, to catch a glimpse of the sun, and to remind myself, hey, I'm not tied to another monitor or a machine at home. All I need to exercise is a pair of running shoes and a GPS. Hang on, Dom. Is this the sound of him out on a run? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's him on a run in Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh, my God. Right. Gene's a creative director at an agency called RGA. Um, and he has his own very creative way of staying fit. He likes to make this thing called GPS art. You know what this is? So is, is he using his GPS to sort of plot a pattern for his run and sort of draw something as he's running? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've heard of this. Yeah, people run, they walk, they bike, and they they draw these coordinates on a map. Basically, Gene is making art with exercise. I've done a little over 50 routes. I've run a dog, a deer, the shape of a sneaker, <laughs> a tiger. I've run a pig. I've run the Statue of Liberty. I love that. So when I heard that he does this, I asked him to go out on a run and draw something just for us, just for this show. We're about six miles in. We're going to be making a U-turn at Ogden Avenue and then a left at Hancock Avenue. So have a look. Let me just pull up this link. And I'll, by the way, I'll put this link in the show notes so listeners can see it as well. Cool. He ran the shape of a runner. Yeah, he did. All right, we just finished the backside of the runner. Now moving on to the runner's leg. We're currently cutting through downtown Hoboken. Oh my God, this screenshot says it took him over two hours to run and the path adds up to more than 15 miles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This may be the only time I ever get a guest to run more than half a marathon just for Uh. us. So after everything that we've talked about today, this GPS art that Gene's doing, you know, it's a pretty creative way to design a kind of habit loop for yourself. There's a really obvious reward at the end of it. Yeah, it's basically like an artistic take on the goal gradient. Right. He has to finish his drawing. He can't just bail on that run. It's all about hills. Lots and lots of hills. The connection between fitness and creativity, for me as a runner, I think it allows me to clear my mind during the run. During those moments when your mind is clear, you start to accidentally come up with ideas that may potentially solve some of the the creative problems that you're having, right? All right, almost there. I see the finish line. I just have to say this. It's a creative exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. All right, it's 15.7 miles in the book in the shape of a runner. Thanks again for joining me on this run. That's the end of another episode. I'm Koi Vin. Our producers are Dominic Gerard and Pippa Johnstone. Our sound designer is Christian Prohome. Learn more about how Adobe Creative Cloud can help you unlock your own creativity at adobe.ly slash wireframe. This is Wireframe, a podcast from Adobe.